You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, good morning. Excuse us as we shift things around for just a moment. I want to introduce you to my friend, uh, Tyler Martin. Uh, yeah. Dude, you got fans here, man. Let's love it. Tyler is the pastor at Outfitter Church in Bar None, Wyoming, in which a large percent of a percentage of us have been to, which is yep. crazy, right? We, as student ministry, who's been to Bar None before? Yeah. Love it. Okay, so over the last couple of years, we've partnered with Outfitter Church. We've gone up there to serve them at their sports camp. And uh, just right off the bat, this church is doing amazing things. And the Lord is using this man uh, to lead uh, a gospel movement there. And this is a church that we partner with financially, uh, with missions and all of that uh, because we believe in what this church is doing and uh, we're excited to just have a conversation. We have never had a conversation under 20 minutes ever, okay? And so, and we got to get this done in like... First service. First service we first did. First service we did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so we... Not second service. Not second service. We can go till forever. But uh, we're going to try to get this done in about 10 minutes. And in just a moment, I, I want to ask Tyler just to explain uh, his Texas roots because that's going to pull on our Texan heartstrings in just a minute uh, and introduce his family. And so I'll stop talking. You talk. Yeah, so uh, on our way over here, I was telling my wife that uh, my little joke tagline would be, if, you, if you're an OU Sooners fan, which you're probably not, oh, you still got work to do, Pastor Mike, um, that we are Texas-born, Texas-bred. We always thought we'd be Texas-dead. Um, but... But yeah, we, I'm from Fort Worth, from Crowley, Texas, so born and raised in the Fort Worth area, and then my wife is from uh, Hallsville, Texas, and so um, it's almost got the word y'all in it, Yallsville. and so uh, she's from Hallsville, Texas, so we thought we'd be in Texas all our lives. We both served in churches in Texas, but God had other plans. Yeah. And I'm glad he did. Uh, that sounded negative. <laughs> and so you've planted a church in Barnum, Wyoming. Tell us a little bit about your pathway to church planning uh, and kind of where the Lord took you and where you are now. Yeah, so we've, we've always loved Texas and loved things about it. And we were serving in, uh, again, we've served in different churches together. Uh, I, was, I was 19 when I started preaching at that church, and on like my 20th birthday, they pretty much called me to be the pastor. I don't think they wanted a teenage pastor, so, um, so that was cool. That's insane, dude. Yeah, Just, it was neat. Yeah. Put that on my resume. I think I was the youngest <laughs> SBC pastor in Texas yeah. for like a couple months. And you that survived. Was, I did, I did, and so did the church. Yes. So, yes. Um, no, we, we served in, in Texas churches before, and we, we loved that. <clears throat> Sorry. And... Um, but, like, we kind of had a dream job, and, and everything was great for about two years. And then after that second year, all the things that we, like, had such a deep passion for just began to fade away, and, and we began to not have those same passions through a lot of prayer and through discernment, through making sure there was no, like, unrepentant sin in our lives or something. Uh, we realized that God was positioning us to move us and kind of softening the blow of that by taking away some of that passion. Uh, so we prayed and said, God, if you want us to go anywhere, we'll go. Just make this season end. 
And uh, we got a phone call that week about going to plant a church in Wyoming. Mm, that's awesome. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the unique context that is Barnum, Wyoming, and really the state of Wyoming. When we had a conversation this week, one of the things that you talked about was the vision to reach Wyoming. And so you've kind of gone beyond kind of the early phases. You're, you're now in kind of the walking phase of, of church planning where you're not having, you're not a baby anymore. Uh, you're kind of taking care of yourself and kind of self-dependent. And you're able to open up and see the vision that is the state of Wyoming. Talk to us a little bit about the unique context uh, so, that you're in. So I would say that Outfitter, uh, it was like in terms of like lifestyle or life cycle, uh, we were once a baby. Now we feel like we're newlyweds and we're ready to have some babies. Um, and so we really want to plant more churches out of our church. And so, uh, <laughs> um, and so <laughs> should have said that in the first service. I should have, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to recover. That yeah, was really funny. You you're guys good. laughing at that was really funny. Yeah. I didn't think it was that funny. Um, we, uh, God has been so good. We, we, we make the joke that we wanted to plant pregnant. And so when we started our church, we wanted there to be another church inside of it ready to come out when, it, when, that, when the time was right. And that's where we're at. We're actually planting two churches out of our church this year. I forgot to mention that in first yeah. service too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so God is, God is good. We've we started with 14 people, now over 100 people every single Sunday come to exalt mm. or explore Jesus. Um, it's been amazing to see what God has done. And so, uh, but the uniqueness of Wyoming, is that where yes. I'm coming back to the question? Yep. Is that we are geographically isolated. Um, I, I realize when I try to explain Texas to people, no one understands it. If you haven't lived in Texas, you don't understand this is the greatest country in the world. Um, <laughs> Just like that, you, you really can't understand what I'm trying to tell you about Wyoming. Uh, the students who've been there, you realize that. So I drove an hour and 20 minutes from Fort Worth to here to get here today, and I never went without seeing dozens of cars, buildings, and houses. You can drive an hour and 20 minutes any direction from my house, and you're not going to pass more than like a couple thousand people. Uh, you're also not going to get to another town for an hour and 20 minutes. And so when you leave here, you're not going to pass a gas station. You're not going to pass a Bucky's. You're not going to pass anything. Definitely not an H-E-B. You're not going to see anything. And so it's very isolated. We are very, very, very spread out as a state. Um, we are relationally isolated. That It's a very transient culture. Most people who live there are there because they have a job contract there for oil and gas. They're going to leave in three years. Um, so they don't get deeply connected, and the people they live in the communities of aren't going to get deeply connected to them as a general rule. Lastly, we're spiritually isolated. It's about 90% unreached. So about 90% of the people in Wyoming do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, we have 203 towns or places, and 30% uh, of those towns don't have any church of any kind. Not, not a Catholic church, not a Baptist church, not a Methodist, nothing, absolutely nothing. And so it's a very sad reality that you can be born, live, and die in Wyoming and never have a Christian share the gospel with you. And that's where we believe God's positioned us to be a part of changing that. Some, some stuff that you may not realize about church planting. Uh, half of 1% of all churches plant churches. 
Just let that sink in for just a moment. Half of 1% of all churches plant churches. And so for him to be planting two churches out of his church is incredible. But one of the things that happens with church plants is there's something going in the DNA that goes, this needs to spread. And I would add, like one thing we didn't say in the first service is the culture lends itself for churches to really team up mm-hmm. because it's so isolated. And, and so when he's talking about church plants, some people would, li- I've had this conversation with people go, why do we need more churches? Mm-hmm. Why, would, why would we need to plant more? It's a statistical reality that when you plant a church, you are more likely to reach unreached people. We're, we're not swapping fish in an aquarium when we're planting church. It's not just Christians going, well, I like this better. Statistical reality, church planting reaches the unreached. And one of the things that's really cool about the vision that I heard from you this past week was that now you're at a spot where Outfitter Church is, is going to be able to do some really cool things to, to plant churches, to, to raise up leaders and pastors and preachers to go and plant churches. How are you thinking about, what's the context, what's, what are you, what's your vision for Outfitter Church in the next couple of years? Yeah, so... Um well, on that note, like one of our elders, he, he got saved seven years ago. Uh, one of our deacons, he got saved three years ago. Um, pretty much anyone who serves as a leader in our church, most of them, it's a very small minority. They've ever been to church anywhere else and, and uh, very little ever like former church leadership. And so uh, what I want to encourage you with is that even, at, even in Van Alstine, Texas, you don't need degrees and important things to, to do ministry you just need people whose hearts are on fire with the Holy Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's you sitting in this room. Yeah. Uh, Van Alstine, I don't know how old this church is. It's old. Old. But <laughs> in church world, you're never too old to have a baby, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're 70 years old, you probably shouldn't get pregnant. But a 70-year-old church, keep it going, baby. Um, and so, Dude, the baby analogies are insane right now. Yeah, it's good. With it's good. <laughs> so uh, it's just easy to understand. I understand. You know? Yeah. We have three kids under the eight, under, or yeah, yeah. You get it. We had f- three kids under four, so we understood the baby illustration right. as well. Um, our vision is that, is that so, so Bar None is connected to Casper, Wyoming, which is the most centrally located big state or big city in our state. Uh, we are the hub of all things. Oil field companies, that's their headquarters. The Southern Baptist Convention, that's their headquarters. Um, we have the most, not the healthiest, okay? We have the most healthy churches in Wyoming or, or in Casper, Wyoming. And so there's only 95 Southern Baptist churches in our entire state. There's 63 in this county. Um, and so uh, it's very isolated. But we have a team of absolutely amazing godly pastors and churches that really want to work together to plant churches so we believe that God's calling Outfitter Church to become a hub, not the hub, but a hub for the gospel in our community and in our state. And so there's 60 communities with no church of any kind. We believe through doing an apprenticeship program and through a, preach, a circuit, circuit preaching system, we can reach a lot of these towns. So bringing in people for 12 months, training them how to plant churches, and then sending them out to go further away from where we live, that's great. But within our own church, we're trying to raise up ministry teams of men and women and men who can preach the gospel to where we can send them to drive two hours in any direction. And we can 
So like a group would go once a month, and then another group would go, uh, and we would plant churches that way. Uh, we have a town that's an hour north of us, but it's an hour south of one of my friends. So he said, when we start the circuit preaching team, put him on the circuit uh, for this one town. He'll drive down one Sunday a month, and he'll preach there. So that means we only got to get three guys now to plant a church in KC, Wyoming, where Chris Ledoux, the country singer, grew up. Um, and so that, that's really our big push is we really want to become a hub for the gospel by planting more churches uh, in Wyoming. We can't have a huge church and run seven services and have everyone from an hour's drive away. It's just not going to happen. People aren't going to drive. We live eight minutes out of Casper and people don't drive to Bar None because it's too far away. It's ridiculous. So anyways. Yeah. And that's maybe the cultural barrier here, the context of Probably the future of churches are very small communities. The average number of members at a Southern Baptist church is below 70. Mm-hmm. And so just the reality of this, of like some people say, well, this is a small church. No, this is a huge church. Yeah. And, and so what I love about this vision and that I would love to just introduce to our church, we partner already with Outfitter. We give to them. Uh, is to partner financially through prayer, uh, all these things with Outfitter Church because we believe in it. This is something that we can tangibly do to help them uh, bring the gospel to people that will literally never hear it. There is not a people of God gathered where someone can go and hear the gospel. Think about that for just a second. We base our church decisions on preferences a lot of the time. They can't do that. And so what we're doing is we're partnering with them. We're praying with them. And so what are some specific ways? We're going to use our prayer focus today to pray for you. But just really quickly, what are some specific ways that we can do that? Yeah, so the first thing I'd say is, is continue to pray. Um, your first service was way too loving. And I, I, I brought a bunch of cards, and they're almost all gone. So okay. I have some cards left. Uh, we'll be over here after service. If you want a card, put this on your refrigerator. I can mail you guys some more yeah. uh, and ha- you can do whatever you want with them. But um, would love for you to be praying for us. That is the conduit of everything we need. The, the goals that we have are far beyond anything we could actually attain mm-hmm. ourselves. We desperately need Christ Jesus uh, to show up in resurrection power and enable us to do what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, so prayer for sure. Uh, second is keep giving to this church. Through your tithes and offerings to this church, out of their budget, they've been supporting us for, I think, five years now, mm-hmm. um, since before the church ever started. And so I, I really want to thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you don't get to see the tangible reward of your own giving. And then the third, and, and this is, um, I wouldn't have typically asked this, but Jace, Jace gave the blessing, is, is if God has put it on your heart uh, to want to give, oh, I forgot to say why, <laughs> sorry. We've outgrown our facility. We rent an uh, old airplane hangar, which is really cool. Um, but we're, we've outgrown that. Our church now meets in three different churches throughout the week to facilitate what we need to do. Um, and that's awesome. And we don't need anything. We just need to tell people about Jesus and God will do his work. Uh, but it would be really helpful if we had a facility um, that we could operate out of. Um, that includes houses for apprentices to come in so that we can train them and, and remove a barrier of, of rent. So uh, that's a $5 million building project, and we're trying to raise all that cash over the next three years before we start the building. Um, And so if God is impressed upon you to want to be a part of that in any way, shape, or form, you can 
you can go to outfitterchurch.com or outfitter.church and you can give. You can give through this church. Um, again, I, I typically wouldn't ask that from the stage, but Jace told me to. Um, and so, uh, but I really do just want to thank you so much. There are, we've just celebrated our 50th baptism. And, uh, and it's your, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I want to thank you guys for helping us get to that yeah. point and helping people come to know Christ in Wyoming. Yeah. Thank you. Students, there'll be an opportunity for upperclassmen to join them in Bar None this summer. Uh, you get to hang with Tyler, and he just shows you everything in Bar None. It's really fun. And we get to serve their church. Uh, and so that's just another opportunity. But let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask you to get into a posture of prayer this morning. And I would love for you to just spend a moment praying for Tyler, praying for Outfitter Church and the greater kingdom movement that he's called to. Would you pray for Tyler and his wife, Ashley, that they would be captivated by Jesus first and foremost, that their hearts would be turned towards Jesus and that they would love each other, that... Um, you would just bound evil one from the, the evil one from their marriage. Pray for their kids. That they would love Jesus and not turn from his church. Pray for Outfitter Church. As they continually be a city on a hill. Father, we pray for, we just first ask for your uh, just thankfulness for who Tyler is and what Outfitter Church has done through you. God, we ask that you would go before them, reminded of, of Exodus where Moses' prayer, if you don't go before us, I don't want to go. And I pray that they would be captivated by the ministry of reconciliation that they have been entrusted with. That people do not know you. People are isolated. And I pray that because hearts are transformed by the love of Jesus, they would seek to know and love people like you love us. So God, go before Tyler. Help him love you. Help them seek you and help them be a part of the kingdom movement that you have called them to. Help this church be a blessing to them through prayer and through giving. And we ask this in your holy name, amen. Let's give it up for Tyler. That was not 12 minutes. I'll just give you that. We're going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. And as you get there, put your thumb on Matthew 17, because we're going to end there. I'm going to ditto some of the thank yous that Mike had this morning uh, to people that I think should be recognized, Chris and Jenna, for their work at D-Now. Uh, <clears throat> 
This has been a year of transition for me. I've been in the student ministry seat for uh, seven years, and uh, I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't worried about any parents calling me in the middle of the night. It was amazing this weekend. Uh, and uh, I got to sit back and really take in the 30,000 foot view of D now. I usually don't get to do that. I'm usually in the details a little bit more, and it was awesome. Parents, if you're here because your student is here, it has been an incredible weekend. Uh, A a weekend where God has revealed himself to students. And I want to encourage you uh, students to not let this moment pass. Don't think that this is just like, all right, we got past D now. Now I don't have to think about Jesus until summer camp. You can access the presence of God through Jesus Anytime. You have a God who loves you, and if he revealed himself to you, that actually happened. That wasn't a dream. And so today, what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to kind of catch the parents up for where we've been over the last two sessions. All right, the people that weren't in the room, I'm going to kind of condense these two things, these two sessions that we had on Friday and Saturday, and then we'll end with the transfiguration in Matthew 17, uh, and I can do it, guys. I know I talk a lot, uh, and, but I can do it, I promise, all right? Did it the first service. But here's what we started with. This weekend is about joy. It's written on our shirts. We have wristbands about it, and we started with this idea that our brains desire joy more than any other thing. That's a quote by Jim Wilder. And I had students think about this idea that every decision they make, every advertisement that they buy into, every movie choice or food choice, friends, the clothes that they wear, is this idea of that's going to lead to happiness. That's going to lead to joy. And it all revolves around this idea of choosing the good life, right? And this could be in the disciplines as well. We talked about this, that we say no to things because why? I'm going to say no to staying up late so I can get a good night's sleep. I can say no to going out with my friends so I can study, so I can make a good grade on my test. Those are choices that we think lead to joy. And what our brains do is we're constantly scanning the room, scanning the choices that we make to lead to things that give us joy joy, but the reality is that I put before students is that everyone has something that is the source of their joy. We looked at Psalm 16 verse 2 that said this, I have no good apart from you. That is a declaration, that is a confession to say what? I exalt no thing above God himself. But here is where we struggle. There are a lot of things. The world pulls us into creating joy without God as the ultimate source. So there are a lot of things that we confess, maybe with our mouths. And so, you know what, there is no good apart from you, God. But we live our lives differently. There are things above God himself. And I use this analogy that a, psychology, a psychologist talked about with the, uh, the psychology of addiction. And he used 
casinos as a, an example of this. Early on, before screens, before really the technology, before this digital takeover, uh, slot machines weren't a big deal in casinos. Okay, and you know about casinos, right? You know that they, they trick you into thinking that you're having a great time. You're giving them the time and money, and they're taking both of those things. And you know that the system is rigged, that the house wins or casinos would not exist. And there was a psychologist that talked about this. Uh, why do people do this? And then he started to see that, that people started playing this thing called an Atari, all right, Pong. And screens began to captivate people. And he goes, huh, there's no reward coming. They're not getting any money, but they're just playing for hours and hours and hours. And so what he saw was that they began to put screens in the casinos and they began to rapidly addict people. And here's what happens is they actually have these labs that go and try to figure out the best ways to addict people. And they actually have a term for this. It's losses disguised as wins. <laughs> so what do you do? You put a dollar in, you push the button, you're like, I just won 80 cents. Like, no, you lost 20 cents. And here's what I put before students, that there's many pursuits in life that are losses disguised as wins. That there's a source of joy that you're pursuing that looks really, really good, but it's actually a loss. You're putting a dollar in and you're getting 80 cents back. And I, and I gave them three different sources and we talk about this from Psalm 16.1, that I take refuge in you. This is the place where you run to, where, Psalm, where, where David says in Psalm 16.1, where I take refuge in you. This is the idea of if, if you have kids and they run to your room and they have a bad dream and you welcome them, they're not running to your room because they ha you have a more comfortable bed. They're running to your room because there's a trusted presence there that they can feel safe. And this is, the, this is the same idea that David is saying. I take refuge in you, oh God. This is the thing that I run to. I have no good apart from this refuge. And there's three false sources, three losses disguised as wins that I brought before students. And that's the self, the stuff, and the status. You find joy within yourself. I can define good within me. I can define good with what I consume or what I have. I can define joy by the things that people think about me and raise, rising in the ranks. But all of this is a loss disguised as a win. It's this pull. And here's what we know is the thing that we're running to, the refuge we're running to. If you look in Psalm 1, uh, 16, 1 and 2, it says this, there is no good apart from who? You. So we're actually consecrated not to an idea, not to a thing, but a person. And the thing that we desire most is a relationship with someone. And as image bearers, we actually come pre-wired for a face-to-face -face relationship with our creator. That's what we come pre-programmed as. But what sin does is it distorts this. A great definition for sin that I love is from Jeremy Treat. He says, sin is our attempt to dethrone God and enthrone ourselves. 
It's to push things away that pleases God and to enthrone our desires as the highest. And so here's what we desire, this relationship with our creator, but we're finding all these false sources of joy everywhere else. And we think that's the thing that's going to do it, but it never does. And so here's what we did night one. We wiped, the, we wiped the slate clean. We said, what is your source of joy? Can you declare, can you confess that you have no good apart from God himself, which leads us in to night two, which was the definition of joy. There's a definition of joy that I love. I'm going to read it first. Notice there's not a quote there because I'm gonna, that, that plays into it. He says this, joy is what you experience when you can see in another person's face and eyes that they are happy to be with you. Guys, a Christian did not say this. This is actually written by a secular psychologist that's picking up on some of the most essential theological truths of what it means to be a Christian. That joy is not found in stuff, it's not found in circumstances, it's not found in the self, it's actually found in the context of a relationship where someone looks at you with their eyes and says, man, I'm happy to be with you. And we talked about how this reality, this relationship, if it's not given to us at an early age, it actually marks us for the rest of our lives. Children can die, literally if they don't get this type of affection. And the spiritual reality behind this is that because of sin, we have been detached, we have been separated from the figure in our lives that we actually desire the biggest gaze from, and that's our creator. And we scratch and we claw and we try to find this in other places. It's in that promotion that you want. It's in that post that you have. It says, I just need the approval. I just need it. Give it. And so we ended in verse 11 in Psalm 16. Look at it if you're there. It's the theme verse for this weekend. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence, there is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. So we have this definition of joy that involves relationship, that involves a face. And you know what's very interesting about this term presence? It, it gets lost in the translation. Do you know what the term presence in Hebrew is? It's face. It's face. What is Psalm 16, 11 saying? Joy overflows when the face of God turns towards you. And I shared this story with students last night about this reality becoming true in my life. Of the first time that I felt the face of God really turned towards me and it changed my identity forever because the first prerequisite Kim Boa says to experiencing the presence of God is trusting in Jesus. 
Because this face, this, this presence face is found everywhere. Because we actually have a God with a face. We have a person that came in the flesh that looked at people, that touched people. And this is the gaze that we desire. And here's what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. It says, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Where do we see the glory of God? It's when Jesus himself shows up. But Jesus is so much more than a good example of how to live. He came to reveal life and he came to bring life. And here is the crux of the gospel as we said it last night. We're more sinful, Tim Keller says this, than, and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is an acknowledgement that, that we don't meet the righteous standard required, but because of sin, we deserve the condemnation, but Christ was condemned on our behalf. But it's not just forgiveness. It's not just this lack of condemnation. He actually offers us access to the Father, his face turning towards us. Christianity, Keller says again, is the only place that you get the verdict before the performance. The verdict is in. And you know why? Because verse 10 in Psalm 16, it actually is this allusion to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you're not going to allow your faithful one to see decay. Acts 2, Peter preaches this text and he says, this was about Jesus. And because Jesus died the death that we deserve, but he rose in victory, we now have a living God that we can put our faith in who rose in victory over death. He's alive and we have access to the face of God. And so here's what we're gonna say to close our time today, here's where we're going to go. There's a pathway to joy because the face of God is available and it delights in you. And I want to walk through a story that has become one of my favorites to show a narrative example of what it means to have joy in the midst of the presence of God. So let's go to Matthew 17. My wife told me this morning I couldn't preach this in 10 minutes, but I'm about to prove her wrong. Over and over I do that. Just kidding. <clears throat> Let's read Matthew 17, 1 to 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But listen to verse 7. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, what did they see? They saw no one but Jesus. Some of the greatest biblical revelations occur on mountains. You got Moses and Sinai. You have the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7. You have the Great Commission at its end in Matthew 28. And here in the middle is Jesus' transfiguration. And what we know about Jesus is this. Jesus, he acted out this perfect presence all throughout his life. And one of the things that we know from the Gospel of Mark is he actually went on this mountain to pray. He, he went on this mountain to seek the Father. And he brings his disciples along with him. And in verse 2, his face begins to shine. And here's what we know. Jesus' dignity is now becoming clear to his disciples. You see, when the, when the presence of God showed up for Moses on the mountain in Exodus, do you remember how he left? Do you remember how he descended? His face was bright. He had to put a veil over it. It was so bright. And what Jesus declares in John chapter 1 is that he is the light of the world. And what what John and Peter and James had seen so far is this humble guy, this guy who washed feet, this guy who walked around and didn't and, and acted in pure humility. But here in the transfiguration, what do we see? His perfect identity was being revealed. And when Moses, Moses got a peak of the presence of God, how did he have, how did he have to see it? Through the cleft of a rock. He could barely see. And God actually tells Moses, no one can see the face of God and live. But here we have this extraordinary circumstances where his disciples are entering in and they see the face of God and Jesus and it is bright and they are right there to witness it. The term transfiguration just really means to be transformed. And I want you to hold that in to your brain for just a moment. Because here we see the reality that Jesus is not just another light, but the light. The light that has come, that dims all other lights. Because in verse 3, we see two major players from the Old Testament show up. We see Moses, and we see Elijah. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Moses is a pretty big deal. Okay? He wrote the five, uh, first five books of the Bible was the first intercession of the people of God, all of that. Moses would have been a celebrity to Peter. <laughs> Think about that. He was just like hanging with Jesus, let's go on the mountain to pray, and all of a sudden, Moses shows up. The guy you've heard about your entire life. Not only that, Elijah, one of the main prophets, shows up. You're like, okay, hold on. Let's, you know, have you ever been starstruck before? You've seen people in real life? 
Like I saw Dirk one time and I, like, I'm pretty sure he was glowing, okay? But, <laughs> but here's, here's, here's what's so cool about this story is Peter just starts talking, <laughs> right? He just starts talking. He's like, okay, here's what we need to do. Let's game plan this thing. Tents, we need tents. Jesus, you get one. Moses, you get one. Elijah, you get one. We'll have one. We'll just sit here for a minute. Let's just hang. Here's what I thought this meant for a while. I think it does mean this, but I think there's deeper meaning. I thought that Peter just wanted to hang on the mountain. Like, this is a great place to be. But I think Peter is also reverting to his roots a little bit. The, the tabernacle, the tent, meant what? The presence of God, but it also meant protection from his holiness. There had to be something in between God and man. And, Peter, and Peter's like, we got to get that going because we're about to get destroyed. But Peter was still talking, okay? Who knows what he's talking about at this point? Okay, like maybe we should order in some food. Like, let's eat, you know? And the voice of God stops him. It says, while he was still talking... And there's two beholds that we see. Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the voice listed from the cloud and said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There's twice in the Hebrew scriptures where the incarnate cloud comes. And it was a terrifying ordeal. And the cloud that has been talked about all through the Old Testament is now here in the New. And it pronounces something. And there's only two times in which God the Father speaks in the New Testament. Did you know this? And he says the same thing twice. All he's doing is pronouncing the blessing and how much he loves Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He says it one time in Matthew 3 at the baptism, and he says it another time in Matthew 17, but he adds a little tagline in Matthew 17. What is it? Listen to him. It's almost like Peter, shh, for a second, dude. Listen. We see two deep declarations from here. The first one is this. Jesus is presented as the one who has all authority. Notice Moses and Elijah go away. <laughs> Jesus is the one that's standing there. Jesus is the promised one, the Messiah to come, to suffer on the behalf of people. He's the one that came to die. He's the one that the Old Testament has spoken about. He's the son that is declared the beloved son of the father. See, Jesus is able to give what Elijah could not. Jesus is able to give what Moses could not, what no one else could ever deliver. Through Jesus, you can come into the very heart of the universe, the presence of God, and meet him there. You realize that the access, the tents, he goes, listen, no, 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 I'm here. The true temple, the true tabernacle, the, the one that has come to give you life, to access, give you access to the Father is now here. Look at me. 
And this voice from heaven means that the most important reality to God in the world and the most important reality for God's people to know about God is how much Jesus means to God himself. You see this, this voice. And here is the radical idea of the gospel to connect the presence, the joy that we have as believers. It produces an adoption into the family of God. The sonship. The gospel is so much wider than just forgiveness. It it has forgiveness. It's just one little piece. You're adopted into a new family. And this is why I think a lot of us can declare, yes, God loves me, but a lot of you don't believe that God likes you. That God is delighting in you. And it's because we have this view of God that we're just trying to, you know, hey, I got to be better. I got to be a better Christian here. Got to pray more. And when I mess up, I got to hide a little bit. You see, guys, when we trust in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus covers us. But we are adopted into his family. We are co-heirs. We're sons and daughters of the king. I was not being a very good dad. I think it was this week. My wife reminded me it was this week. I thought it was weeks ago. But you know it's every week. But I was not paying attention to my children and, uh, you know, watching Mav highlights or whatever it was. And one of my children grabbed my face and said, Daddy, look at me. That's the presence of God. God is not distracted. God is not just in the room. He's gazing at you. He's delighting at you because of the gift of salvation. And guys, listen. You know what I said? The definition of joy from this secular psychologist. When the eyes and face delight to be happy with a person, did you know that the pronouncement That is over you, if you are in Christ, is the same voice from the Father. This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that delightful? Isn't that freeing? Isn't this a new identity for you? Guys, if we went around the room... We could talk about how how people's pronouncements over you have been very damaging. People have said probably some very ugly things to some people in here. And maybe, man, maybe it was your father. But you have a father who loves you and delights in you. You have a father that pronounces, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And listen to the pronouncement that he has. Listen to Jesus. How do we listen to Jesus? Guys, he spoke. He spoke. All the things that that God would do, Jesus would do. You know how joy is transmitted? Two indicators, your face and your voice. By looking at someone and talking to them. And guys, why I love the last verse is that Jesus, in the midst of this grand authority, I have this lit, lit up face, he goes and he goes, brothers, get up. Get up. 
Look at me. Look at me. I'm here. We're in the presence of God. And let me show you what we're doing as Christians now. You've been saved. You've been declared. You've been adopted. Pronounced over. You know what we're doing? 2 Corinthians 3.18. I don't know if I brought this verse. I hope I did. Yes. Okay. It was early this morning. Sorry. It says this. This is our goal. With unveiled face, beholding, looking upon the glory of God and being transfigured, transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, what does that mean? It means when we gaze upon Jesus, we begin to look like Jesus. And that is the end of the Christian faith, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we do this from the pronouncement that's been given to us. And listen, this is is so freeing for me, is that my goal in the morning is not to just get through a reading plan. My goal in the morning is not to just say my prayers and get on. My goal in the morning is to gaze at Jesus And how do I do that? Through his word, through praying, through thanking him for the pronouncement that is mine. And so the pathway to joy, students, to have joy on your chest and to not live it would be tragic. The pathway to joy is behold the risen Christ. Behold, to place him as your object and source of worship. So what do you do when sorrow and suffering comes? We say, listen, we have a God that is at my right hand, Psalm 16. What do we do when people say things that just get to the core of who you are? You go back to the pronouncement that is yours already. What do we do here as a church every week as Christians, as believers? We turn our gaze to the face of Christ and seek to be transformed into Jesus. Church, the verdict is in. The verdict is in. Through Christ and the resurrection, there is life. You've been granted an identity. You have a father who not only loves you, but likes you. And this is the pathway to joy. This is where we find the presence of God. And you see how this can be anywhere you go. I used this analogy last night, but as the band comes up, we'll, we'll finish here. But I went to my, my child's play this past week, and, uh, and I was just like just staring at my daughter, right? No one goes to plays to look at other, you know, other kids. Like you're just like zeroed in. You're just like, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Great. And I thought about how I'm looking at my daughter, just doing the things that she loved, imperfectly, just delighting in her, just seeing her and just like, man, this is awesome. God's infinite love can do that for each and every one of us. He can zero in on us and delight in us as children of God. 
So let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we end in prayer today. For some of us today may mean identifying the source of joy that is not of God. That there are things that we exalt above God as Father, God as King. Maybe just take time to repent this morning. There are some that are still in their sin and they're grasping after things in this world to satisfy them, to atone for the feeling that's in them, for the sin that is around them. There is only one atoning sacrifice and that's Jesus. And it is freely available for you. So maybe today you go to God as father. That is the declaration that you have, that you can go to God as father. You have access. Maybe today you rekindle the very love that you have for God because of the great love that he has for you. Revival begins with a bunch of people beholding the glory of Christ. And I pray that for this church. I pray that for these students, God. I pray that we would respond rightly to you. I pray that the person that needs to be spoken to through your word, through your spirit would be spoken to. I pray that people would find the joy, the light that has come into the world that casts out darkness. I pray that people would find true joy in your face, your presence. God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.